Welcome everybody to another episode of Life in Commune. I'm Patrick. I'm Carling. And today we are going to talk about slowing down your practice. But of course, before we begin, we have to give a special shout out to our sponsor. Us. Us. To Com ourselves. CommuteYogaStudio.com. <laughs> Maybe we're the only people that think the sponsor joke is funny, but um, we're gonna keep making it every we're, week. We're gonna keep playing into it. You can always practice us, practice with us online at kamiyogastudio.com, or of course, if you're in the Seattle area, come by, come practice at Kami Yoga Studio in Wallingford, and not so secretly, new location coming your way very soon. So come join the vibe, come be part of the crew. All right. So with that being said, slowing down your practice, Carling, what does that, what, what comes up when you hear that phrase, slowing down the practice? And kind of what does that mean to you as a starting point? Well, I feel like slowing down the practice is one of those things that gets said in yoga mm -hmm. a lot, right? Especially because the practice of yoga is quite traditionally and literally more slow than many other physical activities you might do, like when it includes movement of your body. So I think inherently, like the preconceived notion about yoga is that it's slow. That it's, you know, that it already lives in that vicinity. But I also think that's not entirely correct. That's like more the common consciousness of what people think yoga is. 100%. I think the common consciousness, the biggest, the biggest picture we can see, most people would see the physical activity of yoga as being a slower, mm -hmm. more controlled movement-based style for the asana side of the practice. For a yoga student practitioner teacher, what does that kind of mean for you? Because well, I think there's there's obviously like many layers to yes. this, but at the layer that you're currently at in your uh, experience as an instructor and as a teacher, uh, instructor, teacher, student was the word I was actually looking multi -hyphenate. for. Multi-hyphenate. Multi, yeah. Multi, that's the word now for like when you're a, a girl boss, creator, entrepreneur, teacher, this, that, the other. You know how everyone like has a cookbook, has a thing, has a blog. Now it's called a multi-hyphenate. Let you in on a little, you know. Chronically me. online lingo. Listen, most, most of these chronically online lingos are so above me. <laughs> As a multi-hyphenate, yeah. I think of slowing down the practice. One, I think I'm pretty slow in general. Like, in my practice. Yeah. In my practice, I would say. And I don't mean that in a way that's like, oh, it's better or worse. I just mean, like, my baseline tends to be in that place and during this, like, last 10 years of my practice, let's call it. Um, I think of the necessity of slowing down is one of those things that you often don't realize until you get to a place in your life or in your practice where you're like, it truly becomes a necessity, right? We forget that like, oh, it might actually feel good to drop down even another layer, even another layer, and just kind of figure out how that impacts you. I think we often think the way that we can toggle anything, like whether it's energetically or movement or breath work, is that we have to do more or it has to be faster. Or in the vinyasa world, it's like, you know, the only way to change something is to turn the cadence up, the volume up. And I actually think there's so much power, sometimes in like an equally intense direction by turning the volume down, turning the pace down, slowing down the tempo. You can definitely get a very challenging practice doing things very slow. Yeah. That's a very, a very obvious statement. I think one of the interesting things about the Austin side of the practice here when you start to consider slowing things down is what does that mean for you? Mm -hmm. um, so as I think about it, one of the things that comes up for me is the permission to do less. Mm. Yeah. Meaning that when you think about the Austin side of the practice, it's so broad which is one of the 
beautiful benefits of it because you tend to move through a lot of different parts of your body, which you maybe wouldn't do generally, mm -hmm. right? So there's a big physical, mental, spiritual benefit there. But the more you dive deeper into the practice, you're like, oh, I gotta do my flow, and I gotta do my inversions, I gotta do my shoulder overs, gotta do my hip overs, gotta do my back bends, gotta do my, you know, my hamstring stretching, gotta do my hamstring strengthening, like that. The, the, the myth that of the list, fully balanced practice. Yeah, it gets wild, yeah. and the list, the more you know, the list just kind of gets longer until you give yourself the permission to slow down. And so that's where I start with when I begin to consider a slower practice. Mm -hmm. For me, that's kind of where it begins, like, hey, you don't have to do everything so today. So for once. you, is it more of like a mental like, hey, Patrick, slow your roll kind of thing? Like you have to literally like tell yourself to slow down in an effort to relinquish the need to do more, do everything? Or is it more of a quite literally you are also slowing down your pace of practice? Well, I think I kind of do around two practices a day. Mm -hmm. If I was, if I'm being like quite honest. Um, one is an intensely slow practice in terms of time spent, in terms of all those things. It would be, it's, it's more of like an evening wind down routine, I would say. And it's not quite restorative yoga and it's not quite yin and there's some elements of mobility involved, mm -hmm. but it's, it's probably what takes the most time. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, you've seen me do it. I, so. I do know what you're saying because it, it does take a while. It just kind of takes a while, uh, but I really enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And it's it's much more passive in its intention. So there's always that side that exists for me. But 100% what you're saying is also true with the like slow your roll. Yeah. Because the, what's the way to say it? when you have a lot of interests and inspirations in many different areas, it's very easy to create quite a long laundry list of things you want to apply yourself to, mm -hmm. which is fun, but also, as we've talked about so many times, um, probably on this podcast and also in trainings and everything like that, growth comes from limitation. Yes. Growth comes from limitation. And mm -hmm. so I feel like I'm always playing that balance of opening, expanding, exploring many things, focusing, limiting, locking in, trying to create a new growth awareness. And, and when, I think of, when I'm thinking of the growth, it's not like, oh, I'm getting, a, it, the, it's not result-based. Sure. It's more, it, it can be, of yeah. course, like, like, but it's learning-based as well. How does this apply? How does this make sense? How does this tie into five other things? You know, and, and how, if, if I'm working on spinal segmentation, how does that spinal segmentation then apply to, you know, stepping forward or to back mm -hmm. bending or to upward facing dog or any of these positions? So it's really not just, hey, how am I improving the quality of what I'm doing here? But how does that quality then integrate into everything else? I think also the idea of like slowing your role is an important one as a dedicated practitioner and especially as a teacher and a learner, like an avid learner within this ecosystem of yoga, especially like capital Y yoga, that's so far beyond just like a, a, what is in theory a simple concept of spinal segmentation compared to like the vastness, yeah. right? That like- Spinal segmentation is still complicated. Though. Complicated, but not as complicated as, uh, you know, like Vedic history, right? 
Very not true. as complicated. Very true. So if we're going to put it on the spectrum, I would say that it's a more simple what thing. What is more complicated to learn? Is it thousands and thousands of years of Vedic history and philosophy or spinal waves, right? Just depends on what you're or, interested or in. Or what is or isn't canon versus legends in Star Wars. Also complicated. What is or isn't more interesting, yeah. canon or legends? Legends is more interesting. So <laughs> there is a spectrum to all of it. And this idea of slowing down, I think, is like, one, it could be literal. Like when I say that my practice is already kind of quite slow, I just mean that like I like a slow burn when I move. I, that's how I tend to practice. It's how I tend to teach. It's also like, for me, I find that I can speak really fast, I can switch subjects, but it took me a long time to realize that I was not multitasking, I was not being a multi-hyphenate. I was just like, ooh, a shiny object, ooh, a shiny object, and I was losing that thing, right? So for me, slowing down becomes almost imperative in order to actually focus. So I think that's why I end up teaching that way, because it's like I can't hold that many things in my brain at once to do them well, right? So slowing down is not just like an option to make it more difficult, or more intense, or even to like quite literally make it easier on yourself, I think it also becomes, at least for me, a necessity to actually be present in the practice. Like otherwise, I feel like it's too easy to feel like you're still pinging around if things are going too quick, right? And start to kind of like be at warp speed instead of sitting in the pocket of things. I really like that because I think it's one of the ways that I quite enjoy practicing right now. And in a way, I've quite enjoyed practicing as I've just become more educated, I guess, you know, over all the years we've been doing this. But, and not only educated in terms of what I'm aiming to do, but also uh, physical awareness mm -hmm. uh, to the activities. Because one of the really nice ways to practice is like a. I don't quite know how to describe it, but like a modified hatha style practice in terms of what that means common consciousness wise, mixed with like challenging vinyasa poses, mm -hmm. right? So if you do a more slow practice, but then you have these elements of like hard, big inversions or arm balances, but those are really the, the effort moments in the practice yeah. and the rest of the stuff is a bit more chill, a bit more... Um, even keeled, if you will. Like it's not, you know, inhale, exhale, this, that. Yeah, you're pop, doing, pop, pop, pop. but you're not, you're doing, like the wheels aren't spinning at the same speed. Yeah, the wheels aren't spinning at the same speed, but you're still doing uh, some poses that mm. really require, you know, physical, mental, spiritual connection fully focused in, mm -hmm. in the space. Um, that's a, that's a, a style of practice that I personally really enjoyed and have mm -hmm. for quite a while because it, it's kind of like you're leaning into the ease and then all of a sudden you're like lighting the flame again, coming back into like that fully present space. Well, it's like the concept of an ebb and flow type exactly. of class, right? Like you need those moments of down tempo in order to get a resurgence to do the thing. If you're always up here, like, truly that's the burnout point, yeah. right? Like the flame extinguishes, there's not enough oxygen. And so I think it is important to value both ends of the spectrum, but also the way they intersect and like the profound homeostasis that comes when you actually can like see when you need to slow down, when you need to, you know, speed up. And then hopefully that creates a balanced practice at the end of it all, right? In terms of sequencing or your goals at the end of, you know, when you end up in Shavasana, I remember Annie Carpenter, one of our first original teachers, always said, like, if, if students are out in their car, like, 
on level 10,000 still, like amped up. She's like, I didn't do my job, right? Because I want you to leave Shavasana, leave class even keel. I want to like, you know, leave you not still asleep and not ready to like pump up the jams when you get in your car again. And so I think that there is that sweet spot that comes with both in a practice like that, that leaves you feeling really satisfied when you finish as a teacher and as a student. So for you as a student and, and stepping back through the years in your student journey, mentioning one of our first teachers, so you immersed in power yoga mm -hmm. because that was what was available. And then we uh, studied with Annie because these things were kind of like back to back, if you will. Where did the slower side of the practice mm. show up for you? Because, um, you know, while Annie t teaches a bit slower now and even some of her classes back then were a bit slower, there was quite a bit of intensity in her offering yes uh, to say the least when obviously with immense respect but you know like there's intensity she, she, she snaps well and the, slow doesn't mean not focus, intense also sure. right yeah, no of course but yes. I'm, just, I'm just trying to more more like talking about your journey yes. or evolution to like finding your your speed in the practices i guess yeah. more my end. I think always there's, I mean, I think I forever have a, a, a bit of Annie inside of me, like yeah. as that like early, also like a bit of a mother figure for me within the yoga practice yeah. that was really necessary as I like feel like I was raised up through it, you know, yeah. that's always in me. I can hear it in my words. I can hear it in my teaching. I can see it in my sequencing still. But I think the effort to actually get to the like MP5. MP5. That's a, that's, a, that's a deep joke. If you, 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 <laughs> you know, you know, and to send those femurs. <laughs> Honestly, if you've taken my classes, you've heard me talk about descending the femurs over the years. You didn't even know you were doing movement principle five. MP5. MP5. Um, that was a deep cut. So That was a deep cut for sure. I think that a lot of it, I was already conditioned to be okay with that slow intensity. Mm -hmm. And also from even before power yoga, coming from a Bikram practice, yeah. like it's a slow burn, literally and yeah. figuratively. And so I think that was always in me. But then... There is a point where you're like, yeah, I like this pace. I like this, this like approach to the practice, but you also, it's easy to think because something is moving slow and there's a sense of like viscosity around the practice that somehow you're also feeding, let's call it the parasympathetic nervous system, that somehow that's also doing that when it's really not, right? I found that I really needed an actual slow practice to counteract the many years of intensity that came from the Annie LA style of practice that came during that era. So what was next then? Just for the I to really, to be honest, fell in love with restorative. Yeah. Fell in love with restorative, but that came a lot through also an intense, um, like, I feel like out of nowhere, maybe it's what they say when they're like, your clock is ticking. This was so far before I had a kid, but like when I like, when I was like, I want to do prenatal yoga. I want to teach prenatal. I want to become a doula. I, this is, this is a thing. I shall do it and I shall All dive. All boxes checked. I was like, I will dive straight in. And there was something about that intersection of like a deep need in my life, maybe like a self-soothing to be mm -hmm. like, this feels harmonious with something that's like inside of me calling for it. And also it was like, oh, maybe I really need to slow down. Maybe I really need some caretaking and maybe I shall do it for myself in this restorative container. It also felt like something that I think I knew I had undervalued in my practice, right? Like I didn't know anything about it, but I'll never forget going to a restorative class at um, the OG Exhale in Venice. And I cannot remember the teacher's name, 
Was it the beach yoga guy? Yeah, the beach yoga. He did. What is his name? For the record, hundred percent not not me. his name, and that's not <laughs> even a derogatory term. But no, no. like he was a he. There was a class there because we took it, and you met at Exhale, which is very close, or which what what was was it's on Exhale. Main Street. It's on Main Street, and uh, you would meet there, and then you would all walk to the beach. Yes, and so it was beach yoga. But he taught you know that, and, and then he taught restorative. And, restorative. Yeah. and he's the one where I truly have have nicked his term of creative napping yeah. that that was like my first real entrance into a deeper experience of restorative that was like oh this is so soothing why have I not been doing this and it really felt like a chance to I don't know it was like that season of life just felt like that was what I wanted in my yeah. body and I still had an enthusiasm for the other part of the practice but it's one thing that I think as teachers we often do ourselves a disservice thinking that like what you do, what you teach is the only thing you can do. Or it's like, that's your thing. When actually you become such a better teacher and such a more well-rounded practitioner, like in terms of overall yoga knowledge and experience, if you allow yourself to go on those whims. When you're like, I feel like restorative is my thing right now. Cool, for six months, you can do restorative yoga. And it doesn't change your status as a teacher. It doesn't change, make you any less of a yogi or a vinyasa practitioner. You're not gonna lose your handstand. Like you can just go on a whim and be like, you know what? I actually just wanna do breathwork meditation for six months and I wanna go on walks. Or I wanna go to the gym and I wanna do restorative. Like you can do that. And I feel like that's part of what's made my practice really robust and made my teaching also very multifaceted is just those weird seasons where I was like, I think prenatal and restorative is my thing. New viewpoints create new perspectives. Yeah, and it just comes back around because then you're so much more comfortable in something you've lived. But if you resist it and you're like, I have to go to power yoga, that's the thing, I have to go to these classes, I think you miss out on the, like, the larger open world of it all. Yeah, deep psychological question. Okay. Are you ready? I am maybe did, ready. Did taking prenatal trainings and creating yoga classes for people who were more in the space of care than let's call it performance for lack mm -hmm. of a better word, open up that avenue for you as a student to move into those kinds of spaces. So essentially like did offering something for somebody else help you see the value in it and then yes. bring that into your world? I don't, yes, in the sense that it's also a reality check. Yeah, for sure, no, for right? sure. Like That's there's, saying, yeah. yeah, it's a reality check. The things that you think are approachable, accessible, and I don't even, that is like a, probably a, a trademarked term at this point, so I just wanna be like in the broad world of accessible, approachable <laughs> movement. There are things that you think that are restorative, or let's call it easy, or passive, and until you actually dive into the real world of restorative yoga, you realize that like, oh, restorative yoga is actually like effortless. It's not even deep stretching or minimal. It should be effortless, fully supported. Or like prenatal yoga is different than doing yoga while pregnant. Like mm -hmm. those are different things. And I just don't think you quite know until you actually put it into your body or spend a deep dive in that training ecosystem to really realize that although there are options that feel restorative and there are options that work well for people who are pregnant or have larger bodies or different levels of ability, it's not the same as something that is actually designed for that population or for that intention of slowing down, of restoration. And I had no idea because prior, I would have just thought the last 10 to 15 minutes of any power yoga class was restorative. I'd have been like, yeah, pigeon, man. Happy <laughs> baby. Like, we're doing restorative. And just 
thought that because I was doing less, because I had literally slowed down, that I was uh, living in that bucket when really I had no idea. Like, it's actually a deep well that I was not even getting into. Yeah, had no idea. There are things even now on the next phase where ever, after having been pregnant and have a kid that I look back on prenatal classes I taught before. You're like, oh. And I was self-conscious. I was like, I've never had a kid. Even as a doula, like some people want that. They don't want your baggage. That's fine. That makes a lot of sense. But now I'm like, oh, how did I think that was an option? <laughs> like, well, I like at, halfway through pregnancy, I was like, oh my God, I'm mortified that I thought that was okay. We're going to work and maybe it did. But you just don't know till you know. You have to like allow yourself to, you know, slow down and jump into those other things before you even get any sense. And then you still get a reality check anyways. <laughs> um, do you remember when we would practice like the restorative classes in Portland? And uh, if you're, leave a comment, write a message if this has ever happened to you. We're doing a lot of like, just like exploring restorative exactly in Portland. <laughs> and um, we've done online yoga as instructors and as students since the beginning. Oh yeah. Since, like, the, like since we began, like we're taking people's classes online and releasing content online, like, like just kind of for always. Look, I mean, leave a comment if you were part of our first inversion monthly membership, it was $5 a month. You got 20 inversion tutorials from us. Yeah. It was hosted on WordPress. It was. It was probably circa 2011, 2012. Uh, it's earlier than that, I would guess. There weren't that many of you, but if you, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for those five bucks. Respect. <laughs> We've come a long way. <laughs> we um, did have this, yo this yoga room though in Portland. Actually, all these memories are from that time. And yeah. in that yoga room, it was like baby blue in that house. Mm -hmm. And that's where all my restorative yoga memories are, yeah. practicing in that room. Absolutely. Yeah. And so we would take these classes and you, you made, this may happen to you too, especially if you practice on commune. Um, Sometimes the internet is just a little bit spotty. And so we would be in these, like, like I just remember being in Dragon Lunge one time and we were taking a class, uh, I think like a Tara Judell class because she had a lot of yin stuff. Yeah, I don't know yin. if it was Tara, but it was a Yoga Glow class. It like, was a Yoga class. I don't know why I feel it was Tara. Maybe we were taking I wanna some of I want to say it might have been Felicia Tomasco. Could have been. I could. It could have been. Could have been. Either way. We were taking this class, I'm making this story so long, <laughs> but this moment in my life was so long. And um, we're in Dragon Lunch, and we're just hanging out there, and, and it just feels like we're there for forever. And, but this is, you know, you're starting to immerse yourself in these slower practices, and you're like, well, I don't know, maybe my mind's just running all over the place, and I'm just like, not used to this. And, and so we were probably there for like 14 minutes or something like that in this single-sided pose. And I was like, dude, I, I'm pretty sure we've been here for more than five minutes. Do you think the internet paused? It had, in fact, yes. lost. Yes. It was a long yin practice in general, but yeah. 14 minutes was excessive in yeah. dragon pose. And I, just, I just remember these, all these moments like this where we were like, they need to put music on these. On things, the restoratives, on yeah. On the restoratives because, um, you know, once the pose is set up, the instructor doesn't really talk. And so it's you also just have, nice to have some quiet, yeah. but it's the fine line of that when you're doing online slow practices. Exactly. Is marking time in that way as an instructor i find that it's always kind of a bit of a 
a struggle when you're like, I don't want to interrupt if you're in a good spot and you're just zoned, but I yeah. also want you to know that the internet has gone out. Yes. And yeah. the video is still playing because I distinctly remember that exact yeah. situation where I'm like, We've been here for so long. So long. I mean, even that sequence, that was like a 20-minute class, and I have used that yin sequence for a decade since yeah. then in just the most simple way. It's like dragon, five minutes, pigeon, maybe five or seven minutes, yep. and then dragon, five, pigeon, five or seven, and then I think a symmetrical pose to close, and that's it. And yep. I feel like if I need to go to slow yin practice and it's going to be a hippie thing, yeah. long dragon, long pigeon, something symmetrical, yeah. and that's like all you need. It's That's the... Also such the freeing part about a slow practice is like, it's just not that complicated. It's complicated up here yes. and like to release all that. But the sequencing, you can relinquish so much mental brain space as an oh, instructor completely. and as a student to be like, okay, now I have to deal with being here, but I don't have to like remember choreography and sequencing and cueing. Like I can speak to the experience of softening and to what's happening but I don't need to be doing mental gymnastics to remember a sequence and to have an impactful practice. Yeah, it was super funny. Um, uh, last week, I had to sl sub a slower practice at Commune kind of last minute. What did you sub? Uh, a noon for Erica. Oh, okay. Yeah, when that. she was sick. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and that class for her is like a slower class, mm -hmm. slower practice, right? And so uh, all the students that come to that, it's more of a slow energy. Yeah. And so whenever I'm teaching it and I'm teaching it at that pace, that slower, more, like more methodical, um, kind of style. And, uh, and I'm sitting at the front of the mat, like toward, or not sitting at the front of the mat. And I walk towards the front of the room, like, okay, like going to demonstrate this one thing we're going to do really quickly. And then I guess I'll get into like some flowing bees to kind of mm -hmm. finish out the active part of the practice. And we'll wrap this up, go to the front of that, check the time like seven minutes left in class, you know? But again, still lots of value in those mm -hmm. practices, but like learning to pace them, learning to bounce them out yeah. and understanding that, again, not everything needs to be complicated. Not everything needs to be one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Like there's there's a lot of value in spending time at one. There's a lot of value mm -hmm. in spending time at two, spending time at three. And then just kind of like, maybe that wraps up the experience for you in a day, um, you know, as a student or as an instructor sharing that because it, it creates a different, um, a different experience and different pace to the way you lean into it. Well, and it also, I think, just take, can take a weight off of your shoulders to succumb to a slower practice, a slower style, whether it is like diving into a full restorative where it's like, okay, yeah, it takes a village to like set up the props and get yourself fully supported, like to, to really do it justice. I think sometimes you're like, I need a lot of stuff. Yeah. I gotta do this thing. Like, but once I get there, I can succumb and you can be there for longer and you can kind of lose track of time in a really lovely way that I think as a student feels like you're in the container, hopefully of a teacher who's keeping time and like paying attention, but you're like, and that you can just relinquish. You're like, I'm going to be here and someone's going to tell me what's next, but I don't have to be making decisions so much, you know? And I think that frees up a lot of intuitive space. Like some of my most profound moments in my life, in my practice, on my mat, ever have not been in asana practices, like big ones. They've been yeah. in yoga nidra and been in restorative practices where it's like maybe I finally dropped all the weight of everything else and could finally like get back to that more intuitive layer. Like all those things have come to me in that restorative season and beyond. Very few have come in like intense power yoga classes. And I don't mean that in a way to devalue. I just think that sometimes we use the intensity and the speed as like, a mechanism to turn the volume up and actually buffer out the shit that maybe you 
did want to bubble to the surface. Yeah. You know, I don't know when have you, do you feel like you have big moments in slower practices or more intensity? I don't know if we've ever really talked about like the big moments you've had in your practice. I think that a lot of the stuff that's come around for me is always over time. Mm, so like a little bit each? Yeah, so it's, it's like a little bit over time and it's just the constant awareness of different adjustments or things that I'm, I guess, kind of working through as a person. Uh, but I would say, you know, like when I started studying yoga nidra, that was like a very freeing experience. I think mm -hmm. each practice style that I've studied has opened up a different avenue for freedom yeah. within myself. Yeah, yeah. And so those are things that I think I really appreciate from all of them. Because, uh, you know, I think, I think I've talked about this previously, but one of the things I just strive to be as a person is capable. Sure. And um, I hate feeling. <laughs> yeah, like just, just, the, just the ability to be capable. Yeah. And, and that's been in me since I was, I don't know, probably like eight years old. You know, mm -hmm. like, like, like I remember, um, uh, this is such an absurd memory, but like there was these... Um, I was always in like extended school care because uh, my parents both worked full time. And so, um, you know, my sister and I would always be like at school from like first bell to like last bell, right? Like the, 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 <laughs> we, we had to take it into overtime all the time, um, which was, to be honest with you, pretty fun because like there was lots of other kids that were in, kind of on the same path. And so it was just like, it was just like two hours of recess at the end of the day, so not at all a complaint. But I remember that they would have, there would be different people that would come in and play with us and hang out with us, obviously because it wasn't the teachers. And I'd be like, oh, like you know, they they're like they like hold it down, like they they know what they're doing, they're like they're capable. Mm. And I, I remember that like sticking out to me like for my whole life essentially. Right? I was like, oh, like that like these people are capable, like they go and they like live, they come take care of us and they like go make their food and live in their little house. And that just is what it is. I love and that you had a, a perception of that. Yeah, dude, you know what I mean? Serious. That like that they had a I'm life crazy. outside of you. I feel like as a kid, I was like, you must live at this school. Yeah. Wow, Miss McKinney, I must be so important. Like, I, I don't think I ever considered that there was like an outside, like Miss McKinney was here all the time. And Rebecca, the assistant, she cares only about like I yeah. don't think I that's actually really cool that you have that. I wonder yeah. if Harvey has any worldview like that. I don't, like, I don't, yeah, I, I just, like I just ecosystem. I remember this, and, and to be like to be perfectly honest, like this thought was happened uh, like a lot younger, maybe even at like five years old at like uh, Saint what, I forget like Vermont Hills or that was more one of the schools I went to went back in Portland. Like I just remember these very specific things about like the way I look at these like these older people yeah. that, you know, they're like 21, 22. Uh, older know? is so relative yeah. now. I saw a meme that was like the two parents from Rugrats just looking so disheveled. Yeah. I know you didn't watch much TV as a kid, yeah. but like there's Tommy Pickles and then there's yeah. the mom and the dad. I know the Rugrats. Okay, but yeah. they look a mess, right? There's babies everywhere. There's a daycare in the house. Basically. Well, there's about 30 kids They're in They're supposed to be like 33. <laughs> they are two, they are two years younger than me. They're like, I was like, it was like, wow, if you ever want to feel old, it's like you older than all these people, everyone on road rules, real world reality shows, we older than all of them. It's a wild time. Yeah. I do wonder just knowing you like that observation as a young kid. And then anyone even listening who's a student that like sees and watches your work ethic and the way that you practice and the way that you teach and the intensity within which you do that. Do you feel like that's something that you carry with you as an obligation or as like, is it, 
It's, is it burdensome it's to feel like you want to be capable or is it a driver? It's definitely way more of a driver. It's like an interest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, because I'm fully at peace with the fact that I'm not going to be capable in all situations. You know, I'm just striving to be capable in as many places as possible. And so, like, I want to feel, you know, I want to feel the capacity to climb a mountain the same way I want to feel the capacity to be able to go to bed at night with ease. <laughs> to fall asleep. Yeah. No, no, seriously, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those, those are, like, two, um, two big obstacles that, like, I've had to work through, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like... Um, you know, and, and we all face kind of different obstacles, different things that are just part of our psyche or just things that you just have, just kind of have to learn how to do. Yeah. You know, and I think that, um, you know, as we're talking about slowing down in this, this podcast, it's kind of like, oh, well, how do you slow down? What do you classify that as? And like, how did you like learn how to do it? And that's mm -hmm. kind of why I was leading into a lot of those questions with you because it, everybody has their own process with mm -hmm. it. And, you know, it, sometimes it takes, uh, giving something to somebody else to see the value in it for yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in teaching things that are a little slower, you also get to, it is such a privilege to teach restorative and yoga nidra. And I say that not that it's not a privilege to teach anything else, but you get to watch people have those profound, slow peel back moments in a very vulnerable way that also is really impactful. Like you watch people actually, literally you can see them soften. You can yeah. see their bodies let go. You can see them rest. I love seeing people fall asleep. Like to me, that is the ultimate compliment that I have somehow created a container that is supportive and safe enough where they could literally fall asleep. A thing that a lot of people struggle with yeah. to, to fall asleep, to feel like they can actually relax enough or slow down enough to get to those places that I think in teaching those types of practices, you see that. And then you also are kind of like, Oh, that looks nice. Maybe I should do more of this, or maybe I should do a restorative practice. Cause you realize the people who are willing to show up, especially in a public studio to like pay a drop in price to come be in a container or a room full of strangers and like kind of take a nap. Like what a wild concept that I think oftentimes we don't value high enough until you see how lovely it is as a teacher. You look around, and you're like, I could, I wish someone would guide me into a nap. That sounds so nice. Like that sounds lovely. What a gift that I think that teaching it and diving in also did make me constantly be like, yeah, I'm going to go home and do this practice for myself. I, um, I remember when all this stuff landed for me, like on an even deeper level, we were, um, this was, gosh, probably like seven years ago or something like that. And we were, it is seven years ago, seven to eight years ago. That's weird. Um, we had this absurd teaching job in Australia where I, I was teaching a lot of stuff and working with a lot of stuff for Virgin Active at the time. Oh, I was like, which one? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, that I don't know how the schedule got made for these these jobs, but we were essentially like getting chauffeured around to all these different Virgin Active Health Clubs all over Australia, all over like the specific city that we're in, right? So like Sydney, Melbourne, whatever. Um, and uh, and we'd have to teach like four two-hour sessions a day. And, the, 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 and it was just the most, like, truly the most ridiculous schedule. Mm -hmm. And the, the topics were, like, all over the place. Like, what, like sometimes it would be, like, a simple topic for a two-hour experience, like, you know, like, a workshop that we teach all the time. And then sometimes it would be, like, se sequencing. 
Yeah, to a, a health club full of people yeah. who are not teachers yeah. or even really yoga practitioners half yeah. the time. Yeah, we would, have to like, we would have to do these things. But I remember we were having to teach so many classes. Like, I think it was like over the, we, we probably taught like 20 two-hour classes, I would say, over the course of the week. Like, I felt like it was, it was, a, lot. It was a lot. Like, I felt like my jaw was going to fall off, mm -hmm. right? But I remember... Um, and again, this wasn't like a training environment, it, and it, nor was it always the same group of people. There would be some crossover um, from place to place, which was also kind of funny because we were always being in a different spot. But uh, with that, I to, to create full experiences also that people could really lean into um, and be able to like do, right? Because, you know, a lot of the practices are quite longer and than they would be for a normal like health club um, student or practitioner. I would do like a lot of body scan rotations mm -hmm. and a lot of longer breath pranayamas. And um, exactly what you're saying, like uh, uh, the body scans, like a lot of people would like actually drop in so deep mm -hmm. they'd fall asleep. Or a lot of people during the like longer pranayamas that were much slower in their nature, that you could just feel this ease coming into the room. And um, I remember um, a student friend of ours named Dustin saying like, it was so cool to, to actually feel that change in like the entire group of people mm -hmm. when you started doing this specific pranayama. And it's like, everyone was like up and then it's like, Shoo. Yeah, you can feel the collective shift. Yeah, exactly. And, and like hearing that from an, someone on an outside perspective mm -hmm. that me and you at the time was like, oh, like, yeah, it's cool that, that I'm really happy that actually landed and you felt that as well. Yeah, that it, it is like a visceral experience of it. I, there's just also something that comes with a slower practice. And I, I will say that I find it to be either, well, I think people, maybe there's permeation, but oftentimes people are in two camps that like a home practice, it's either really easy to get out the soft props and, and do a chill home practice, or it's really easy for you to be like, yes, gung ho, let's get into it. Like you need the action. You know what I mean? And so I think when it comes to that, like, it's almost feels odd to be surrounded by people in in-studio environment and feel that visceral drop because it can otherwise be such an individual experience, oh, right? 100%. A restorative slow thing can feel like such a, a you thing that it actually is really cool when it's all in one place and it's the whole collective room, like down tempos, down regulates, and you can feel it as a, as a teacher and as a practitioner that, you know, you get a sense of it when you're at home but showing up for those restorative practices, those types of classes, like a yin yoga class, like the yin class on Sundays at Commune with Heather, where it's like, Heather has this whole ritual. She sets up all the props. It's very much like she creates a container for you. She takes the work out of it so you can show up and you can slow down without any barrier. And I think that's such a gift because it even makes it even easier for the whole room to go like a collective physical and you know mental sigh of relief when you're all in the same space and getting to that same regulation. It's like everyone's cycles synced. Yeah, just dropping down, mm -hmm. finding, some, finding a space that's yeah. chill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Makes me want to do a restorative practice. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds so lovely. <laughs> well, while y'all can't see this, if you're watching, there is a mat in front of you. You could, of course, take it. There. I did one here yesterday, yeah. to be honest, and, and uh, that is uh, on the docket for, for your May classes. So yeah. there is a restore and recover on your way right here. Feet up on the couch. It's lovely. <laughs> With that being said, y'all, 
Have an amazing, amazing rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning in. I look forward to practicing with you very soon. And uh, yeah, take it easy. Peace.